Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello and welcome to Extra Time, a web-only show from RNZ Sport. I'm Joe Porter. In the programme this week, four former world number ones feature in the strongest ever field announced for Auckland's ASB Tennis Classic. The all-conquering All Blacks end their year with a Paris affair against France, but what's gone wrong with the rest of the Southern Hemisphere teams, especially the Springboks? The New Zealand Sevens team have new coaches, so how will the new blood continue the legacy created by the departed Sir Gordon Titchens? We dissect the Kiwis' failed Four Nations Rugby League title defence and take a look at a Kiwi star who's taking a crack at America's NFL. And the New Zealand golf team attempt to make history at the World Cup. The strongest ever field will assemble for the ASB Women's Tennis Classic in Auckland in January with four former world number ones present, including 22-time Grand Slam champion Serena Williams. She'll be joined by big sister Venus as well as Danish world number 19 Caroline Vosniaki and former French Open winner Serbian Anna Ivanovic. Between them, they have won 30 Grand Slams, 160 WTA titles and spent 399 weeks or nearly eight years at world number one. And as Matt Chatterton reports, they're not the only players to get excited about. A little smile and a puff of relief. The third seed gets the job done. Caroline Wozniacki is no stranger to Auckland. She's played here three times and was a finalist in 2015. She's just one of the 24 seeded players confirmed for next year's tournament who are inside the top 100 in the world. It's the strongest field ever assembled in Auckland, featuring some of the biggest names in sport ever to be held here in New Zealand. Tournament director Carl Budge says given the timing of the event, just two weeks before the first Grand Slam of the year, the Australian Open, players want to come to Auckland to get the best preparation. These players are known by the first name anywhere in the world. Any of the continents you go to, they're genuine superstars. If we had one player in the in the top 100 at golf here, we'd be doing backflips. Well, we've, we've got... 34 of them coming out in the top 100 and, uh, and the four biggest names of the biggest women's sport on the planet. There are two other tournaments that are played in the same week as the ASB Classic, one in Shenzhen, China and one in Brisbane. In the past, these two have secured stronger fields than Auckland, but Budge says that's changing because of the reputation the ASB Classic is building. Every single tournament would, would change their field for ours, which probably speaks volumes. You know, somewhere like Shenzhen's got three top ten players that they've gone after. Brisbane's got some, some good depth. They've got Kerber, the world number one, uh, and a lot of those players ranked sort of um, 10 through 20. They've got some really good depth, but yeah, I certainly wouldn't change my field for, uh, for anything. One name that is missing from the field is New Zealand number one, Marina Arakovic. However, Budge says she'll be given a wild card so fans can see her in action in Auckland again. Cormac Chatterton-Tine. The All Blacks finished their season against France in Paris this weekend and while New Zealand's year has been stellar, the rest of the Southern Hemisphere teams have been less than impressive. 
the southern teams have traditionally dominated international rugby, winning seven of the eight World Cups held since 1987. But that supremacy seems to have eroded in 2016, so has there been a power shift? Four southern teams were in last year's World Cup semi-finals in England, with the All Blacks going on to claim their third crown as the northern teams fell well short. This year, though, has marked a resurgence in the northern game, and, with the notable exception of the All Blacks, a less-than-surreptitious slip by the southern sides. Australia 40, England 44. And for a country that had never won a series on Australian territory before, that is how to put the record straight. The Wallabies were spanked 3-0 by Eddie Jones England in June and have scraped to victories over Wales, Scotland and France on their end-of-year tour so far. Their coach Michael Chicker says the All Blacks still set the bar, but he concedes heading north isn't the easy prospect it once might have been. It's clear that they're the standard bearer of the game right now, New Zealand, and the Northern Hemisphere teams, <clears throat> buoyed by their home crowds, they're very, very difficult to beat. It's a real challenge, and for, for all teams coming from the Southern Hemisphere, we've all had tough games coming over here, all four of us. The Springboks have fared even worse, drawing with the Barbarians before being crushed by England and losing to Italy for the first time. Italian rugby has a renaissance. They have beaten the Springboks. What a phenomenal effort. The stadium has absolutely erupted. This Italian team has taken one of the biggest gods in world rugby. Argentina have also struggled, falling down the rankings from 5th to 8th, with the All Blacks shining the light for the South this season, breaking the record for the most consecutive test wins. A loss to Ireland being the only blot on their books, they finished the year against France and Paris on Sunday morning, and wing Julian Savia says they're determined not to slip up. Shows in history that we sort of have this last game and sort of becomes a banana slip game sort of thing. Um, but we've just got to park that and um, you know, really bring the edge. I think the boys are really you know, looking forward to this week. It's another challenge and a way to get excited. However, even the almighty All Blacks are suffering from fatigue, with hooker Dane Coles conceding it's been a struggle to not think about the New Zealand summer. You feel yourself thinking about the beach or getting home, you just got to you know, bring yourself back to this moment and I think it's just having that one place, one mind kind of mindset and you know, we really want to finish off the tour with a performance we can be proud of and we know it's a, it's a bit of a trap that last game on tour, you know, we've talked about that so um, I think about, it's us about leading every day and just making sure we stay in France and not in New Zealand on the beach somewhere. Tick this one off against the French and Coles and Co will have more than earned a beer and a break as they fly the flag for a flagging southern hemisphere. The once mighty Springboks are in a crisis. South Africa has endured a dramatic slide since losing to Japan at last year's World Cup, having won just four of 11 tests this year. The ultimate insult as far as South Africans are concerned came last weekend when they were beaten by Italy for the first time ever. The loss has pushed the once proud box down to number five on World Rugby's international rankings. And Supersport rugby journalist Clinton van der Berg told Kim Hill on Morning Report there's no signs of things improving any time soon. A calamitous year for South African rugby turned even worse at the weekend when the once mighty Springboks were beaten for the first time by Italy. Playing in Florence, the Springboks lost 18 points to 20. It was yet another unwanted milestone for the team. 
which this year has also suffered its heaviest ever home loss to the All Blacks, its first home loss to Ireland, its first away loss to Argentina, and the first loss to England in 10 years. Joining us now is Clinton Vanderberg from South Africa Super Sport. You might have to change the name of that channel, Clinton, I think. <laughs> well, well, we would, except New Zealand are back winning again, so it's, it's all OK. Oh, OK. What's gone wrong? Something terrible's happened. Gosh, how much time do you have? Uh, really, it's, uh, I mean, it's just fundamentally, if you look at uh, the structures of South African rugby are wrong, um, just the planning's all wrong, the succession plans, such as they are, are completely wrong. Uh, and finally, you know, the player drain is, is, is told in a dramatic way. And uh, I just think it's a confluence of all these factors have really begun to tell. And uh, it's been a long time coming. You might remember, of course, the World Cup when uh, the box lost to Japan. And that, I think, is when things really began to unravel. You mean that losing to Japan just derailed them? Well, I, I think, you know, it gave us a bloody nose and it was a reminder that, that, that things aren't right. Uh, for a long time, we were able to paper over the cracks because we've always had such good depth, depth and, and that kind of thing. And really uh, uh, good rugby players. But now, you know, at last count, there are about 350 of our players uh, overseas now. And, and for a while, we could get away with it. But... Uh, but not anymore. Uh, teams have worked the box out. The box aren't the biggest and the ugliest anymore. Um, other teams have come up to speed. And, of course, uh, our skill levels have never been uh, never been great. So sides have worked us out. And uh, it used to be that it, it was teams like the Australia and the All Blacks. But now it's, it's, it's the smaller teams. Uh, you know, we, we of course, we, we've just lost to Italy. We lost to Japan previously. We lost for the first time at home to Ireland, to Argentina, home and away, um, all in the last couple of months. And then we're playing Wales this weekend, uh, and I'm, I'm quietly terrified as to what might happen there. What's the reason for the player drain? Well, essentially, it's the state of the South African economy. Uh, politically, things uh, aren't, aren't great at the moment. Um, there's a downgrade looming. Um, which is which is uh, very worrying, and and it's you know our, our our currency is is very sensitive to all sorts of things going on, and the rand for a couple of years hasn't done very well. So if euros or yen gets flashed, our players where they're often a often a jiffy, and it's not just you know the elite level players; it's the players beneath that as well. So if you're a middling player, you know reasonable provincial level player, you can go across and you can earn yourself some really good money because the rand is in such jeopardy. Could uh, the coach, Alistair Kurtzy, could he keep his job if you beat Wales? You know what? What I'm hearing and what I'm sensing is is that he might keep his job, but some things have to change around him. Uh, his management team was foisted on him, so, you know, he can put his, his hand up to a degree, but he can also say, listen... The, uh, my systems aren't guys. I selected Bar Matthew Proudfoot, the, the, the forwards coach. Um, and I think, you know, he might get a stay of execution if, if, if they beat Wales. Um, but what I'm hearing is they're going to bring in some, some expert help for now. Uh, but of course, if they lose to Wales, it could just could, uh, I mean, things could really just, just fall apart. The other problem is, unlike the All Blacks, our succession planning just doesn't exist. So if I look at the, the Springbok management team now, there's no obvious successor from within. And if you compare that to the All Blacks, it's completely different. You know, for many years, you always knew that Steve Hansen was the next guy, and I assume somebody like Ian Foster is going to come in next, and a guy who's already in the system. We don't have that planning. Um, so it's, it's pretty much, um, uh, you know, it's, it's stopgap measures here, there, and everywhere. It's, it's all quite messy. Kurtzy needs to uh, improve his, his losing style. He says it's not good enough losing to Italy, which strikes me as a graceless thing to say, wouldn't you think? 
Yeah, I mean, our standards have really dropped. Um, it's, it's, it's extraordinary. You know, uh, I mean, it wasn't too long ago that, you know, we, we, we could go down to the to New Zealand and expect to win there. And now, um, I mean, it, 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 Jake White was saying this week, you know, for us to even contemplate losing to Italy just shows how far far back we've fallen. You know, we should yeah. win every day of the week. <laughs> Which was actually and my point, Clinton. Give Italy a bro- Why can't you just say, gosh, Italy played really well. Well done, chaps. Instead, he's saying, oh, Italy beat, even Italy beat us. That's terrible business. Yeah, exactly. And, and no. think, you know, what, happens, uh, <laughs> what happens to our coaches, and this is absolutely true, when they start losing, this madness affects them. And it's, it's true of all the coaches. When they lose, and it just, they say that the most stupid things, um, their behavior changes, uh, they age incredibly. I mean, if you look at the coach's box during a game on the telly, and you just see Alistair Kutzia's face, I mean, he's ashen-faced, and he's, uh, he's, he's just going through the worst possible time. Clinton Vandenberg speaking to Kim Hill. The new co-coach of the New Zealand men's rugby sevens side says the players can expect a change in their programme over the next few months. Scott Waldrum and his co-coach Tomasi Tharma named their squad for the first two rounds of the World Series, which starts in Dubai early next month. Waldrum and Tharma will control the side until Scotsman Clark Laidlaw takes over on a permanent basis next June. Sir Gordon Titchens had led the side for the last 22 years before standing down after their fifth place finish at the Rio Olympics. Waldrum told Barry Guy that there will be change. Yeah, um, absolutely. I think um, we're coming in with a fresh approach um, and I think filling in for, for what Titch has done uh, over the last 22 years, um, it, it's probably time for a change. So um, we're certainly looking to implement some, some new structures and some different systems and also try a few things and, and see if, if we can't get a bit of pride back in the black jersey by uh, by leading the leading the world in, in the way we're playing uh, rather than probably what it's been the last couple of years. What, what sort of fundamentally is it? Is it tactics or, I mean, obviously it's not fitness because that was Titchen's sort of thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I think the game's um, uh, certainly changing where... Your, your fitness requirements are a little bit different. It's, you know, it's a lot more physical. You need to be able to make tackles and get up and chase someone and clean a ruck and, and, and carry strong into contact. So it's being fit and being able to perform that sort of work at the same time. So making sure the guys are actually uh, physically in condition for, for the way that the game's going is, is certainly going to be a, a big change uh, heading forward. Is it is that a different type of player? Does that mean that you cast your net a bit wider? Um, no, I, th- I still think Sevens has got uh, room for for all the different types of players, and, and, and the, the core fundamentals are, are still there. It just means the players need to, as well as being fit, they also need to be be strong. Um, you know, and we're always looking for people with good agility and speed. So there's certainly not a massive change. I think, if anything, it's probably just an improvement on what's what's been required in the past. As uh, Captain Scott Curry mentioned, I mean, there's so many of them that have only known, known Titchens. How have the players um, adjusted? I mean, it's, it's certainly going to be a, a transition stage with the guys, and, and we're trying to implement some things that, that have probably been ingrained into into previous players and the way to do things. So it, it, it's going to take time and a bit of repetition to, to change those and, and, and get them right. Um, but I also just think, you know, you know change and a fresh start um, 
is often a good thing. So, you know, it certainly gives guys an opportunity and, and as a real uh, player-driven environment, we certainly want to sort of um, give these, these experienced players an opportunity to, to share their ideas and, and, and grow in all areas of the game as well. Uh, Clark Laidlaw is going to take over in June next year, but until then, is it pretty much you and Tomasi Tharma's team, is it? Yeah, yeah, Clark um, keeps in touch, and we certainly bounce ideas off him and, and just talk through different things and, and, and keep him connected so that he's not he's not coming in from the, the, the shadows um, in, in June. So, you know, it's, it's good to have him there as a sounding board, but, but he's got a lot of faith in us and, and is allowing us to deliver what we think needs to be done in, in the areas that we'll probably end up hopefully um, controlling as a coaching team um, in the future. Have you felt or have you noticed any sort of hangover from Rio? Um, I, I think this might even be more the opposite, I think, because of what's happened rather than a, a hangover, it's it's a bit more determination and and desire to actually get New Zealand back where it should be and, and get some pride back in the black jersey. So there's uh, there's certainly a lot more excitement uh, from the guys and, and and there's some real competition and and we've seen that in the last two days of training. We you know we play games and in the past um, being a player, I certainly know that those can get a little bit you know you can be a little bit nice to your teammate. Where um, yesterday it was it was helpful ever, and, and everyone was making each other work hard, which is which is good, and it's what we want. We want to grow competition within the sevens environment. Scott Waldrum speaking to Barry Guy. The Black Ferns sevens squad was also named for Dubai, and will again be captained by Sarah Goss. And you're listening to Extra Time, a web-only show from RNZ Sport. The New Zealand Rugby League team have returned from the failed defence of their Four Nations title in England with their tails between their legs following a 34-8 hiding from Australia in the final. The heavy but expected defeat left the listless Kiwis with just one win for the tournament and former coach Frank Endicott was far from impressed with what he saw in the Four Nations decider. He says the side showed the right passion and attitude in their opening win over England though he concedes their performances faltered from there. Denise Garland spoke to Endicott following the final loss and asked for his assessment of the unsuccessful Four Nations defence. Their best performance by far was the win, the first game, the win against England. I thought they showed plenty of uh, heart, passion and, uh, and skill in that game and a lot of resilience. And, uh, and I thought that would go on to better things later in the uh, round. But the game against Scotland was one to forget. Uh, and uh, the loss, not the matter of losing to Australia, but in the manner we lost. I think um, we played better, but uh, we were up against a very good side and Australia deserved their victory. It seemed that a lot of the, the flair and the spark that New Zealand Rugby League is known for was maybe missing, compounded by a lot of just basic errors. Well, you're so right. I mean, the um, error rate was just far too high. The discipline um, needs to improve 100%. Uh, you get those two things right and you get a, a greater share of the football and you can do more with it. But uh, I thought we played pretty conservative over the three games and it really took its toll in the end. Australia were brilliant on the night and I thought they were brilliant against England too. The signs were there that uh, they were going to be up for this final and under a new coach too in Melbourneinga. He's, uh, he's done a good job bringing that team together and they're going to be a handful in the World Cup next year. 
Now, obviously, this was uh, David Kidwell's uh, first tour in charge. Uh, not exactly, I guess, the score sheet he was hoping to, to come back with. What do you make of his performance in the role, considering he was sort of just thrown into it several weeks before heading out on the tour? Well, it's always difficult uh, for a coach when you're thrown into the deep end, and uh, David would have learned a lot from this tour for sure. I think he's the first to put up his hand and say he hasn't done some things up to standard. But he'll learn from this tour, and hopefully that'll uh, that'll help him in the World Cup next year and the games before it, because it's a huge year next year. And, and look, I'm not too pessimistic about it. I still think the Kiwis can rise in a one-off game and uh, and beat Australia and England. Only one tour in charge, but already there is some talk about, you know, is he the right man for the job? Do you think we just need to give him some, some extra time and, and let him find his way more into that role? Now that New Zealand Rugby League have made the decision uh, to uh, give David a two-year contract as coach of the Kiwis, they must honour that. To be fair to him as a coach, he's got to be given time also. And uh, in two years, I'm, I'm picking you're going to see an improvement next year. And of course, if you don't, then you reassess things for the next coach or the next contract for David. But in the meantime, we shouldn't be talking about sacking any coach or any player. We, we need to just work on what we've learned from this tour and put it together next year for the World Cup. Obviously, I've been focusing quite a bit on uh, David Kidwell, but even Sean Johnson after the match today said that they went and essentially did the complete opposite of what the game plan was, basic errors, and they seemed to have a bit of stage fright. Is it maybe the players we need to have a look at and, and clean out parts of the team there? You know, we had some players on tour that were going to grow on the tour. They were they were new to it. But I've always said, and I always will say, uh, a major part of winning any test match is, is selecting the right side to win the test match. And we're gonna we've got a very big pool of players to pick from now, um, like we've never had in the past. So we've got to get that selection right of players. Um, and I think we'll have a lot more players accessible for selection next year. You, we've got Roger Tervasashek coming back. We've got Mannering coming back. We've got Foran coming back, hopefully. You know, it's in the halves and the centres that we need, really need to look at and uh, look at players to come through in those positions. And obviously, I, I personally think um, Mannering has really been missed on this tour, not just in his play, but his leadership is... Jesse Bromwich may be taking a little bit too much time to grow into his role as captain? Well, I don't actually see Jesse Bromwich as a captain. You know, you can't have your captain sitting off the field. Your captain needs to be on the field all the time. I mean, you'd never see Cameron Smith leave the field. And um, you need your brains out there. And, of course, Jesse leads from the front, and he does that. And he does a great job. Um, but, you know, a captaincy is a different thing altogether, and uh, that's another area that we're behind Australia and we need a natural captain, uh, we need to find one, we need to go out and look for one for our future for the next 10 years. Do you think there are any obvious choices at the moment to get into that role? Uh, no, I can't see any obvious choices at all. I think we've got to start spreading the net and, uh, and start looking at what's coming through. Frank Endicott speaking to Denise Garland. Staying with Rugby League and the Kiwi star Jason Tomalolo travelled to the United States this week to participate in secret trials for the NFL. The North Queensland Cowboys and Kiwi's second rower flew from London immediately after New Zealand's loss to Australia in the Four Nations final to be tested by American football scouts. It comes just two months after he was named this season's NRL Delhi M medalist alongside Cooper Cronk. Paul Shepard, who helps scout and train Australian players for the US college football system and the NFL, told Denise Garland there are two clubs looking at Tomalolo who will put him through his paces. 
they'll do a test on him for his 40 yards, obviously yards in America, for his 40-yard sprint times, for those sort of things. Reach, jump, how much he can bench in, in how many how many reps of a bench press he can do, all those sort of just biometric sort of stuff about athletic ability, to be honest. How likely is he to find an opportunity from this? NFL clubs are entitled to have, I believe it's 52 actual contracted players uh, per season. Now, they can also have as many, they would have what's called a training squad. So they may just sign him into what's called a training squad who would go out and train against the first team, if that makes sense. And he probably wouldn't be a registered player as such. How attractive would a training contract like that be for a player like Jason Tomalolo, who is off obviously on a reasonable salary at uh, the North Queensland Cowboys and still has a uh, year left on his contract there? Yeah, look, my understanding how that it would work, it could, depending on how his, his trial went, a training contract might be something as simple as like $120,000, $150,000 a year. Now, that's not even close to what Jason, I'm assuming, is on now at the Cowboys. I wouldn't have a clue, but I'm guessing he'd be on a lot more than that. So this is the big risk that he is taking and that all the guys in the NFL who are looking at it, initially it's a big step back to take a very giant forward if all goes well. Okay, he he is, you know, obviously young and he's very mm. talented at rugby league. But does he have the skills to transfer to the NFL? Yeah, I think he does. I think a lot of the guys do. The skills they've got as far as speed and power is just outstanding. And we have had a lot of calls from a lot of NFL and college coaches in the state saying, how do we get our hands on these big Islander kids? How do we find them? Because you guys, as they say, eat glass, and that's what we're chasing for. So they are very confident we have the skills. It's just all about how much patience and commitment Jason has got to it once he gets signed to you know, taking a big step back from being the top of his sport to being at the bottom of the rung, but with the potential to go to the top of the rung of that new sport. Now, he did mention just a couple of months ago um, when he was awarded the Delhi M medal that he, he wanted to be at one of the greats of rugby league. So is, is he sort of maybe just testing the waters a little bit here, seeing what kind of interest there is in him and whether he has the goods for it and then maybe come back to the NFL later in his well, career? I think yeah, there's sort of yes and no to that to that question. He's not committing to anything, and he has every right if they offer him something there and then on the day to say, thank you, but that doesn't interest me. And I'll just shake his hand and say, terrific, Jason. Thanks for all your time. So is he testing the waters? Yeah, that's absolutely right. He's testing the waters. But the second part of your question based on, you know, coming back and he wants to get back into the NRL, I don't know what sort of agreement he's got with his Cowboys club, you know, where the understanding is with that. But look, he is young and he is a terrific player and any club would line up to have Jason in their team for sure. Do you think a player like Jason, who is young and I guess we don't yet know the scope of his talent and where he could go in rugby league, do you think it's a, a more of a benefit for him to sort of, I guess, give that up now and jump into the, the NFL with both hands? Or is it, would it be more beneficial for him to get a little bit more time in the NRL and then try again in a year or two? There's a lot to learn. He's got a very steep learning curve, and I suppose the sooner he starts on that, the sooner you know the journey begins. So I think now is as good a time as any time. You know, if you if you really want to try it, then get out there and try it. There's no harm. There's no real harm in it at all. I mean, even if he was put onto a training contract, the fitness training it probably wouldn't hurt his body, even if he did do 12 months over there on a training contract. 
you know, it would be a completely different style of training and conditioning and fitness. His body would rest up from the impacts of NRL and he'd probably come back fitter and stronger if that's at all possible with Jason. <laughs> American football scout Paul Shepard talking with Denise Garland. Danny Lee and Ryan Fox will attempt to do what no New Zealanders have done before them, win the World Cup of Golf. The pair are one of 28 nations playing at the Kingston Heath Golf Club in Melbourne this weekend. New Zealand has finished runner-up twice at the tournament but never won it. For Fox, this is his first World Cup and caps off what's been an impressive year for the 28-year-old. He's qualified for the European Tour next year, played at the Rio Olympics and most recently finished in a tie for fourth at the Australian Open, where he was paired with former world number one and two-time major winner American Jordan Spieth. Fox told Matt Chatterton his experience in Australia was amazing, though there was a slight sour taste left in his mouth after he left his birdie putt on the 72nd hole just inches short, which, if he made it, would have given him a ticket to next year's British Open. Yeah, look, I'm a little bit disappointed, but it wasn't just a putt on 18. I hit a lot of good putts the whole back nine um, at grazed edges, and you know, I could have quite easily been there in the playoff or better, and have an open spot as well. So, you know, I can't just blame it on that part on 18. But, um, yeah, hopefully it doesn't matter. I, you know, as you said, I've got plenty more opportunities for next next year to get into it. And, um, you know, yeah, I don't want to really look back on it and be disappointed, you know, by leaving a 15-foot putt short when the rest of the week was, was so good. Looking back on this year, obviously it's been quite a successful year for you uh, in terms of you know qualifying for the European Tour. And just looking at looking at this week, for example, you're getting to play with Jordan Spieth and finishing in the tie for fourth at the Australian Open. Can you put that down a little bit to the fact that you have made the move to Europe and you're playing in, in more competitive tours, I guess, compared to what we may experience back here in uh, Australasia? Well, yeah, I guess so. I, I just getting used to playing more and more tournament golf, being in contention more and more. And I, mean, I guess this is one of the best fields I've played in all year. It's almost not quite as good as the Olympic field, but very close. And, um, you know, Aussie, Aussie's a pretty good breeding ground for for good golf. And um, they always get good players down here to play in the big events. So I guess it's just a, a matter of feeling a bit more comfortable. And, um, you know, yesterday was a, was a new experience for me to play with Jordan and it was in front of I wouldn't want to guess how many people and um, yeah it was great to handle it as well as I did and you know still have a chance of winning where it would have been quite easy easy to blow out and you know I can just put that down to experience now really and hopefully can bank that for confidence for the rest of the year and next year. Yeah fingers crossed there are plenty more opportunities uh, with uh, the likes of Jordan and a few other of those PGA Tour pros to come. Um, taking a little bit of a look now, uh, this week, um, World Cup of Golf, probably as close as it's going to get to New Zealand uh, over there in Melbourne at Kingston Heath. Um, what are sort of your ambitions I guess for this week, you and Danny Lee playing for New Zealand? Um, obviously going to the tournament you want to win it, what, what sort of yeah, what are your aspirations this week? Well yeah, obviously we'd Danny and I would love to love to win and be in contention come Sunday. And um, you know, I'd, we've got a I, we've got a strong team. You know, Danny's obviously a world class player, and um, hopefully, I can take the form from last week into this week. And you know, you never know what can happen. Um, there's obviously a lot of good teams down here as well, and you know, you never know with the format as well. Foursomes can be a little bit funny. You can play well and not score well, or you can play kind of poorly and the matchup just works well and you, you put a good score on the ball. So, um, look, we're, 
if we can go out and be in contention come Sunday, that would be fantastic. But you know, it'd be just nice to do us do ourselves in New Zealand proud and um, you know put in a good performance. Ryan Fox speaking to Matt Chatterton. And that's the show for this week. Feedback is welcome via our Twitter, Facebook and email RNZ Sport accounts. And we'll be back next week with the next Extra Time show. Until then, I'm Joe Porter. Bye for now. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.